so this whole notion that Google and others will argue that copyright blocks innovation is garbage. It is total garbage. Now, copyright is what allows creators to monetize their product. And the reason Google you know, and others want to fight that is because they'll have to pay for it. This is the Industry Observer podcast, presented by APRA Amgos and hosted by me, Poppy Reed. Today, we're tackling the interesting, sometimes contentious topic of music streaming. We'll hear from Spotify Australia, as well as Australian artist Starly, who you'll know from her single Call On Me, and Dean Ormston from Aparamcos. Thank you for being part of the very first Industry Observer podcast. And it is a big topic, streaming, huge. Um, But firstly, I wanted to find out and have our listeners hear a little bit about you. So how did you come to be head of member services group at APRA AMCOS? Right. Uh, well, I've been with APRA, about, APRA AMCOS about 105 years. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I used to be a high school music teacher originally and uh, been working overseas. Uh, came back from overseas and went back to uni to do business and uh, fell into a job at APRA in Melbourne while I was back at uni. So Ooh. that was where I started. and. Um, I've been really lucky to have um, moved into a number of different positions over the last 20 years and um, uh, this most recent job um, came about because a colleague of mine went part-time and uh, Brett, our CEO, asked if I would pick up the member services group role. So I was already doing government relations and communications. Um, so it's been great to add the membership and the distribution side to the business. It's, uh, yeah. It's How many roles have you had here at Abramcos? Uh, five. Yeah, it's been great. I started off in the licensing area, um, you know, which is, uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, the coal face of what APRA does in terms of dealing with licensees, everyone from small hairdressers through to nightclubs, cinemas, and now digital service providers. Um, and then uh, sort of evolved into setting up a client services space for APRA. We we didn't really have anything in that space originally, so there was an opportunity to set that up. And, yeah, it's been just a series of evolutions. Well, what's been interesting is you would have seen the rise of streaming, you know, how it started, how it began. There was that groundswell, and then how it's almost starting to really affect the music industry in your role. So how close do you deal with streaming and everything that's happening now with your role? Uh, In my particular role, uh, my uh, connection to the streaming service is really at the distribution side. So the licensing team are putting the agreements in place with the streaming services. And once the money's in the door, the distribution department's looking at the data that comes in from the streaming services against the money that we have and distributing it out the door. So my sort of closest contact points really in terms of what dollars have we got coming in and how's that increasing over time uh, against the data that we've got coming in from Mm. those digital services and then, yeah, paying it out the door to members. And so you know whether artists are doing well from streaming or whether they're not. So my question to you is, firstly, what is the breakdown of how the streaming royalties are delivered. Can you give me a sort of overview? I know that it is different for different services, but let's look at what I would view as the streaming leader in the market, which is Spotify. Can you tell me a a sort of breakdown of what rights holders get? Yeah, look, it's it's difficult. It's it's only difficult in the sense that um, there's obviously been a lot in the media around the micro payments that people are getting from streaming services. And that's true. You know, if you look at it, 
at a um, per stream value, then the uh, payment out to artists at this point in time is still microseconds, like 0 0.000, 000, 000, 000 you know, value. And that does vary across the different streaming services. Um, and I guess the question for everybody has been over the last couple of years is, is that going to improve? Is that mm. going to get better? Mm. Or is this the new world? And how does that stack up against other sort of payments for other performances of works, whether it's on radio or whatever it might be? And what we've been sort of really keen to look at is obviously, is the money increasing coming in the door? And the answer is yes. So um, we're seeing dramatic increases in the revenue on the licensing side coming in from the streaming services, which is great because what that effectively means is that um, the subscriptions uh, are going up, that people are yes. paying their $11 per month, um, the Spotify service or, or you know, Apple Music, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a dramatic increase in the value coming in the door, but the other thing that is, is dramatically increasing is the number of works, which is no surprise. I mean, there are there's more music available digitally than has ever been made available yeah. before. And people are listening to a, a, a huge array of music. So when we get data in from streaming services, we see some works that might have only been streamed a few times. So they're going to get a few times, times, 0, 0.000 whatever cents. Mm. You know, it's a very mm. small payment. Um, where it starts to stack up, obviously, is where those works are being streamed repeatedly over and over and over again. But one thing we have noticed, which is very different for streaming as against what happens on radio, is that streaming has a much longer life around a work. So when a work's released, the same as on radio, you see a spike. You know, it might, if you're lucky enough to get onto radio into high rotation, it goes gangbusters That's for right. a period of weeks. Mm. Um, and the same happens in streaming services. If you're in a playlist or it's, it's up there, there's, you can see this spike in activity. And then um, for both, it sort of trails off. But what we noticed is after sort of a 12 to 18 month period on the streaming services, those, still, those works are still getting lots of performances and we start to see an increase in the value of the money that's going out the door. Mm. So what, it's still very early days um, for this sort of analysis, but what we see from that is that people have playlists and the works have a lot longer life in those playlists and cumulatively, that value adds up over time. Whereas on radio, you know, your your period in the light, so to speak, might fade fairly dramatically. Yeah. Now the dollars, the money that's going out to members from radio is substantially higher than streaming service. So, you know, whilst I say that over a period of time, the value on streaming services increases a little bit, it's still overall much lower than radio. Okay. But we think that's an interesting trend to say, well, you know, if the value of the revenue coming in the door from streaming services is increasing and that is certainly the trend we haven't seen any move away from that trend then you know you've sort of got to be hopeful that this is a meaningful return to artists ultimately yeah well you mentioned playlists before and I, that's something that I do want to touch on but firstly do you know the percentage breakdown for rights holders like is there um, a number that you can give our listeners of the percentage that goes to publishes the percentage that goes yeah. to um, artists? Yeah, uh, with the streaming services, typically 70% um, of the value uh, is, it goes back to rights holders, but that's split okay. um, with 15% of that going to uh, songwriters, composers and 
publishers mm. uh, and the balance being 55% going to labels. So mm. that's the split in the streaming world. Okay, okay. Um, and then on to playlists actually. It is really interesting that you said, you know, if they get to the point where they get on a playlist, it does go gangbusters. That's what's happened to someone that I interviewed, who I know, Apra Amcos champions as well, Starly. Yeah. So she obviously, obviously has that Call On Me yeah. single, which is still going crazy. We went to Spotify in LA and we sat with uh, some of the people there, the, the curators and stuff, and they were saying that basically um, one guy, they didn't really really want to give too much credit to the one person but they were they did say they spelt the beats spilt the beans on it that one person in denmark loved the ryan ryback version and put it on a couple of playlists he put it on a workout playlist and a couple of other things and when he looked at the data there was a zero percent skip rate so because of the zero percent skip rate that's how they do it they kind of see how much people like it by how many times it gets skipped mine had a zero percent skip skip rate the one with ryan so they were like oh shit this is amazing like how does this even happen so um, they started adding it to a few more playlists. And then America looked over and seen that that's what was happening. And they were like, wow, people are really loving this song. Let's add it to our playlist and see what happens. And they'd see the same type of similarity. It was interesting. So she told me that she got added to a playlist in Denmark originally. That was where it went. It went gangbusters on Spotify before it was played on radio. Yeah. Which is amazing. It's, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you... What's really interesting with Starley's example is sitting back going, okay, well, what's going on here and what do we learn from this or what can we do about it? And certainly, um, and this is not just my thought or APRA thought, this is a lot of people thinking this, that, you know, there used to be radio pluggers who spent all their time you know, mm. trying to get works onto radio and that still exists. Getting your works into playlists is the new digital version of that, the streaming version of that. And what we've been talking about internally here is that, you know, you want that to happen locally, of course, but it's actually a global game now. What you want Mm. to do is get to know the tastemakers and the playlist creators for all of these digital services globally. Mm. And we're looking into that space to work out how do we assist uh, Australian artists there. And, um, you know, that's at the moment not necessarily a very scientific process. It's more about Mm. who do you know. Same as radio, right? Same as, yeah. So in a sense, um, you know, everything that is new is old again. I mean, it, it's the same process. We're in the digital space. And, you know, what we, we do know from our members and we, when we talk to our members, we say, you know, it is probably harder now than it ever has been before to be heard. Mm-hmm. There's so much material out there. The struggle is how do you get heard above that? So it's the same as radio. How do you get heard? Mm-hmm. But streaming's enormous. You know, we're really keen to look at what's the opportunity to... Um, know uh, influence tastemakers globally part of what sounds australia does globally is really making those relationships and connections and networks around the world and we're looking at so how do we extend that into meeting and influencing people who are creating these playlists we've got lots of ideas around that that we're playing with at the moment but certainly um any you can share uh not not just yet we're sort of yeah to be honest we're still investigating working out where would we best put our efforts and you know what what are What's everybody else in the industry doing? What are labels doing? What are publishers doing? And how do we complement that? How do mm. we sort of help? And I think everyone knows that's the space that has to be worked on. Those people who are 
creating playlists. But, you know, I think the digital services here in Australia want to have a positive relationship with Australian artists. I mean, they're very clear about that. Part of what we sort of think is, well, that's great. So how do you demonstrate that? You know, mm-hmm. it's one thing to talk about it. Uh, what is the mechanics for you programming Australian works into playlists? And um, I would say that some of them are doing be- better than others on that. Um, we are having a look at our distribution data at the moment for the mm. streaming services to say what's the local content of yes. each of those digital services. We're in the midst of calculating all of that at the moment. Amazing. And we do want to be able to go back to the services and say, you know, we're thrilled you're here, we have a great relationship, we're thrilled you want to support Australian artists, let's talk about how we do it. And, you know, I don't think anyone's necessarily saying the best way to do that is a playlist that has the Australian flag across the top of it. It's, it needs to be more yeah. sophisticated. It's yeah. how do you, you know, sort of um, place into existing playlists genre-type playlists, mm-hmm. um, Australian works. There's no shortage of great Australian content. I mean, I, I just come back from LA and Nashville, and there are so many Australians on the ground overseas doing fabulous things. We are, we've got so much export potential mm. um, that nobody could put forward an argument that there's not enough Australian content to fill playlists here and to have quotas which we would like to see being higher than commercial radio. Well, that's right. I mean, there is even the 25% quota for commercial radio so I don't I know that streaming is a different world it's a definitely new space that we're playing in but what's to say that they shouldn't be governed by a quota like that yeah I mean we look that's been thrown around that idea for a while um, there were people who said you know we there should be lobbying for quotas in the digital space um, there are counter arguments to say that that's very difficult especially where you know, yes, you have curated playlists, but the rest of the streaming services, people a la carte choosing what it is that they want to listen to. Yes, hard to. yeah. But um, but for the playlists, at least, playlists, it could yeah. be something to... Yeah, I mean, we, we would probably err on the side of, rather than stick, go the carrot approach and say, hey, guys, wouldn't it be great to be seen as a you know an advocate for local Australian content? Mm. And um, why don't you talk more about... The, uh, the Australian content that you're adding to your playlist, whether it's new material or, or older material, whatever it might be, like, let's, let's be proud of it. Let's talk about it more. Um, yeah. Which I think is a much more positive way to go than to enter into a, a debate that, that is about regulation or anything like that. I think it's much more difficult. Yeah, yeah. And just while we're on local artists and Starly as well, she told me that she's only just starting to make money now despite having that Sony ATV music publishing deal in the UK. Now, because I'm an artist, it's allowed me to make money from other things. And I'm just about to start seeing some of that money. And even then, new opportunities are opening up where I can make money. But when I was a songwriter, I didn't have success as a songwriter. So I had signed a deal to Sony ATV publishing in the UK. I moved out there. I was broke. And I basically just worked my butt off until I could get a deal. So I got a deal with Sony ATV. I had some money to live off. It's an interesting thing. It's like uh, it's the corporate industries taking advantage of, of, you know, they give you that money and they're like, okay, here you go. And then you're stuck in this deal and you're working your butt off for years. And if you make it, you make it. If, if you don't, um, they'll write it off on tax and whatever and they don't, give, they don't give a damn, you know. But for me, so what had happened was I just got pushed into the system. I didn't have any success as a songwriter. Yeah. Look, I think, I, think that's, I think that's tough. I mean, 
we talk to different artists and artist managers and I've got examples of artists and their managers who are saying we're now seeing really healthy returns flow through from streaming. So there are definitely those stories. But it takes time and, um, you know, like I said, that's all coming off a low base. So if, if an APRA member, for instance, is looking at their royalty statement and they're looking at their streaming revenue as against their radio revenue, yeah. they'll go, why am I getting so little from streaming? Because the rates are substantially different. And what we've said to artists is, you can't say that streaming is replacing radio and isn't it terrible that the rate's so low. What you've got to say is, there's now a new revenue stream called streaming. And that's great and it's slow, but it's growing. So we have seen the per work rate increase and we're still looking at a relatively short period of time. It's only really been a couple of years yeah. that uh, you know streaming services have been here and it's been licensed and we've been distributing. So it's still early days in terms of looking at trends, but already we can see that despite the number of works increasing dramatically, we're seeing the revenue increase dramatically, as I said before, and therefore we're seeing the per rate work mm. increase. But I wouldn't dress it up as anything else. It's probably always going to be low. I think the nature of streaming is it's a numbers game. It's about thousands and thousands and millions of hits over time. That's where the value comes, as opposed to radio, which is hopefully if you picked up on high rotation where they add seven new works a week, maybe you're there for three or four weeks, fantastic, and that'll be a bonanza to you, but it doesn't last. It sort of trails mm. on pretty dramatically. I think what you said about streaming being that added revenue slice is really interesting. I mean, look at the data from 2015, ARIA data, APRA data. In the recording industry in 2015, there was a 5% increase in the value of the recording industry. Yeah. And then APRA data showed 140% increase in streaming revenue. Yeah. And digital revenue was up 68 million, up from 47 million. So streaming is the reason that the music industry is growing. Absolutely. There's so much positive narrative around it. Absolutely, yeah. In, in I think it's uh, over five years, our streaming revenue has gone from 300,000 to 27 million. Huge. So it's, mm. it's massive, dramatic increase. The graphs are all heading in the right direction. Mm. So, you know, look, while we appreciate at an artist level, as an individual, people might, might not be seeing thousands of dollars flowing through to them. And we, we know that's the case. But if you look mm. at it from an industry-wide perspective, money is flowing in. And, and you know, obviously the hope is the base of the pyramid you know, is increased and improves for everyone's benefit. That's really interesting. Yeah. So there's all this money coming into the industry, but artists almost have the smallest slice of the pie? Well, it's, it's not so much... It's, you know, of as I said, of the seventy percent that goes back to music, you know, creators, if you like, yep. for streaming services, the songwriter, the publisher, are only getting fifteen percent. So you know, mm. wearing my Apra Amcos hat, mm. it's a small amount. Yeah. Really, without the song, you don't really have much else. Mm. But um, you know, that's that's a different debate and discussion as to what the split is between the value of the work and the value of the sound recording. That's right. Uh, it's interesting. I was chatting to this artist. He's a composer called Stefan Moccio, and he co-wrote. He did the melody for Earned It, which is The Weeknd's big yeah, song, yeah. and he also did the melody for Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus, yeah. and he co-wrote that with two other artists. Um, I think it was Mozilla and Banks, someone Banks, I think. Um, 
the name escapes me, but he said that probably from all the streaming revenue for uh, Wrecking Ball, which was a massive hit, yeah. he probably got about $25,000. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, look, he uh, wrote the melody. Yeah, like, that's, that's right. Yeah. It's, um, you know, um, there's, a, there's a number of questions and issues there, which um, you could talk about the rates, uh, the value, if you like, between the song and the sound recording. That's one discussion. Write your own songs, play them live, submit performance reports to Apra Amcos to get paid. Just log into your account and tell them when, where and what you've played. They'll do the rest and you'll get a royalty payment for each song you've performed. Not a member? Head to apraamcos.com.au and sign up to start earning. The other part of it is the value of the whole ecology in the digital space. And mm. you know, one of our concerns is around the Googles of the world who are making enormous monies. So there, there is enormous money happening off the back of music. What we're mm. talking about here is a streaming service like Spotify that is paying APRA a license, APRA costs license fees. Mm -hmm. So that's a very direct relationship. But there are vastly more monies mm. in the ecosystem happening around works in the digital space that aren't being returned to artists. Mm. And, you know, this is part of the issue we have around lobbying on the copyright front that uh, multinational tech companies like Google continue mm. to argue to really undermine the value of copyright, to pay less, mm. Mm. where, you know, they are deriving huge monies off the back of music being, you know, on their platforms. Is this the value gap yeah, that you're referring yeah, yeah, yeah. to? Yes. Explain to me how, so that, that's how the value gap is affecting streaming? Yeah, so what, what they, the, the idea of the value gap really is the, the very hard line those multinational companies have taken. So I'm using Google as an example, yeah. obviously. The very hard line that they've taken, which is to say that in a whole range of circumstances, they don't think they need a license for the music on their site. That if the artist wants to have their music up there, well, the artist is going to derive some advertising revenue, so isn't that good for the artist? And if the artist doesn't want it there, they can send us a notice and we'll take it down. But that, that whole um, notion is flawed because uh, it puts all the onus back on the artist to do everything, whilst Google is deriving all the benefit whilst it's sitting there. Mm. So with Google doing nothing, with all this music sitting there, with um, you know, ad-funded uh, monies being generated against that work, monies are flowing back to Google all the time for that. Mm. And mm. very little of that is flying back to the artist. So that's where the real value gap is. And, and the real kicker in it is that when uh, rights organisations like us approach a Google, to talk about license arrangements. In the US context, Google has said, well, we don't think we need a license from you. We're just a platform. There's this thing called safe harbors and we think we have protection under that. In the end, they ended up taking out a license, but more out of an insurance, from an insurance perspective to say, we don't really think we need this, but we'll take it out. Okay. But of course, that means that the, um, the rights organizations like us in the US context are in a very difficult position in terms of negotiating a rate. Because Google's already saying, well, we don't think we need it. Mm. We'll take it out if we have to, but we're certainly not paying what you okay. want us to pay. Mm. Now, in Australia at the moment, that context is different because our, our current safe harbour provisions are, are narrower. Yeah. And there's no doubt that Google 
would need a license mm. from us. So we've been able to put a license in place and negotiate a rate that we're happy with. Okay. But if, if as the, uh, there's a, a bill before the government at the moment and a particular mm. schedule of that bill, if that goes through, it will expand the definition of safe harbour to provide that protection to organisations like Google. And YouTube, yeah. Yep. And that would mean that we might be in a much more difficult um, negotiating position next time around. That they might say, well, you know, things have changed. Um, a bit like in the US, we don't think we need a licence here, or not a licence of the same value mm. in the Australian context. Weren't, weren't the government going to consult with the music industry about this? Well, all of our lobbying at the moment is around that there hasn't been any consult, real consultation around yeah. this. There's been a submission process, like there is with all these things. But, um, you know, this particular schedule on Safe Harbour was included in a bill that is around disability amendments in the Copyright Act. So really to make... Uh, sorry, disability access. So yeah. the whole idea was to improve access to copyright materials for people who might be visually impaired, for instance. Okay. Now, that's a great thing. Mm. Everyone supports that. But sort of tucked away in this schedule too was this safe harbour thing. So very a total, you know, sort of wolf in sheep's clothing type of mm. scenario. And so there was no attempt to consult with the industry on that. And so mm. what we're saying to the government now is we don't want this referred off to a Senate committee for a bit of tweaking. The whole thing is completely flawed. You mm. need to pull it out and you need to go back to all of the stakeholders and consult appropriately. And we're, we've, been, we've been very clear with government. We said we're not opposed to the notion of safe harbour. I mean, of course, we understand what safe harbour is about. But safe harbour works because it's a balanced relationship. You get you know, protection from being sued as a, as a YouTuber or Google mm. under safe harbour on the basis that you take certain steps to protect uh, against copyright infringement. Mm. So it's, it has to be a balanced relationship. That's very live at the moment, that issue, and we're hoping that um, Mr Byfield, who has carriage of this issue, will pull Schedule 2 from the bill okay. and allow the rest of the bill to go through because we think it's a good thing. And what if it is expanded and it does capture digital services? How will artists be affected and will streaming be affected? The worst thing, really, we've argued this, is that you know, Spotify have been great corporate citizens. They've come into this territory, taken out a licence with us. Fantastic. Um, YouTube and Spotify are competitors in the same market. So something like expanded safe harbour provisions, there's a risk that it, it, it impacts the relationship. Uh, well, it impacts if it impacts our ability to put a licence in place with YouTube, um, then they get a competitive advantage in that market up against Spotify. That's the mm. risk. Mm. And, of course, that then, if you sort of translate it down the line, could impact what we're able to pay out to our members. So if the licence fee we can negotiate is less, there's less money in the pipeline, less for us to pay out the door. Okay, interesting. And could it extend to Facebook? With Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, all of those players are interested in reducing their copyright liability and it's totally dressed up as an argument that says we should be providing cheaper access to content for consumers, which sort of pictures the whole thing as though Australia is just about importing content mm. and so make it cheaper for all the punters. You know, instead of that, going back to what we were saying earlier, we should be excited and proud of the fact we're going to be 
kick-ass exporters of music content. Yeah. So what are we doing to beef that up and, mm. and to support that? So this whole notion that Google and others will argue that copyright blocks innovation is garbage. It is total garbage. Now, copyright is what allows creators to monetize their product. And the reason Google you know, and others want to fight that is because they'll have to pay for it. This is what's interesting about Facebook. It seems as though right now they don't want to monetize content creators' work. It's interesting. I had a conversation with a label. I know that Universal Music issued takedown requests when more than 19 seconds of a track is played on Facebook. But one label, um, I don't know whether they are that active in that space, but they told me as a media publication, they told 7th Street Media, that they would prefer it if we didn't put any videos involving their artists up on Facebook. And if we did, it would have to be a short teaser that then pointed to a video which we hosted. And this is for performance and interview, by the way. Um, So then it would have to point to a video which we hosted either on YouTube or um, natively uploaded to our own website. So they have no faith that Facebook is moving towards helping artists. Uh, Obviously, no. And and so, you know, we are in ongoing discussions with Facebook, our licensing team, around our strong argument that they require a license, that they are actually in the business of using music to attract and, and keep hunters involved in Facebook. I mean, music's a key part of what's going on. That's been an argument worldwide that uh, has been had with Facebook. And again, it goes back to that, that original sort of point I guess I'm trying to make, that those sort of companies have had a history of... Uh, trying to say we're just a platform and everybody comes here and just does whatever they want and isn't that wonderful let's feel all <laughs> warm and fuzzy yeah well great but meanwhile you guys are making gazillions of dollars mm. on the back of all that content so we don't buy for a minute that they shouldn't pay for it so we will keep the pressure on Facebook in terms of taking out a license and as I said we have YouTube licensed in Australia so it's all good what we want to do is make sure that we don't take a backward step that would make that negotiation more difficult but you're exactly right if Safe Harbor was expanded our discussions with Facebook would would be more difficult than they already are. Another thing that I really want to chat about is exclusives on streaming services I know that it's it's such an interesting topic. Universal Music Group's um, CEO, Lucian Grange, came out and said, uh, well, it was actually a leaked email, and he came out and said that we are banning our artists from doing exclusives. Um, it's an interesting move, considering how it would be governed, with a lot of the artists having just publishing deals or with a lot of the artists just having distribution deals. Um, but then, of course, uh, Frank Ocean, he released his album Blonde as an exclusive, um, and it turned up illegally on a bunch of services. Same thing happened to Chance the Rapper. Colouring Book turned up illegally. Um, what's APRA AMCOS's stance on exclusives on streaming services? Uh, look, you know, we, we don't have a position in the sense of, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And it's mm. really up to the artist because... But you can see why people are doing it. People are going, uh, I need to try and find a way to maximise the value of what I'm doing. And mm. so you can see why people are playing around with different ideas to say, well, if I don't figure I'm getting enough from that channel, I'm going to withhold the product and I'm Mm. going to assign something exclusively over here. So I think, um, and this is probably more my view, I I think what we're seeing here is people trial different ideas in an attempt to increase the rate, you know, increase the return on on what they're getting. 
um, obviously you can only even do that if you're a high profile artist if you're you know just starting out who cares if yeah. you said I'm yeah. going exclusive yeah. um, so as a model it, it's only ever going to work for the top end and then I think already there's a question around it's the sort of thing you might be able to do once or twice but can you really do it everywhere I mean it, it does do some good things in a sense it puts the pressure on the streaming services because the value to their customers is only that everything's there mm. suddenly mm-hmm. they don't have repertoire then you as a consumer are going to go well I don't know if I want to pay a monthly subscription to this yeah, and I certainly don't want to have to subscribe to four different services to get different content so I don't know the answer to that I think that's going to take a little while to play out in terms of what works and what doesn't work if if all of it helps get the rate up then that's a good thing if, yeah if services say well you know we've got to pay a premium to get a premium product the mm. danger is with all of this is that people get involved in a race to the bottom to try and make everything cheaper I mean really I think what needs to happen is that people do need to realise there's a value to content. I'm very hopeful about people, uh, consumer behaviour changing. I think people are used to the idea now of paying for their Netflix subscription. So if you pay $10 or $11 a month for that and you pay a similar amount for your music, well, you're sort of done and dusted. It's less money than anybody will have ever paid for content. And more people are signed up to paid subscriptions of streaming services than they are signed up to Netflix now. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's why I guess we're sort of very optimistic about Mm. it all, you know. Um, I think part of what we we try and reiterate to government is that, you know, the music industry was the first industry to go digital, to go through that change. It was obviously the huge impact of piracy and then coming out the other side Mm. in terms of developing new business models, which is why we get frustrated when we hear about, you know, copyright being a block to innovation. We go, hang on, guys, you know, the music industry has been completely innovative. It has mm. had to reinvent itself. It's had to work through things, maybe not always done the best way, but it has mm. come out the other side and we are seeing positive returns. So now's not the time to chip away at mm. people's rights. You know, yeah. Maintain that framework. That's what's so interesting about exclusives. Like Spotify have said to me in a statement that they are against long-term exclusives. We constantly seek to partner up with more and more artists and labels to help them connect to and broaden their fan base. For us, it's about connecting the music with fans and potential fans. We have a limited set of tools and promotional packages to support both established and developing artists, so it's logical that we would use those to support the artists who most want to partner closely with Spotify. We care about artists and creators, and we care about music fans. We believe that long-term exclusives are bad for artists and they're bad for music fans. Artists want as many fans as possible to hear their music, and fans want to hear the music they're excited about. Exclusives get in the way of both. And it kind of goes with their ethos. Streaming services are here to curb piracy, and exclusives, as we've seen by Frank Ocean, by Chance the Rapper, that they create piracy. Well, I guess you know, there's always that thing that if, if you put out, if you decide as an artist, I'm going to put out a premium thing, I don't think it's wrong to expect people to pay for that. But, of course, the, the problem music has is people can get hold of it before they're paid for it. That's more difficult to do with other products, but with music, the biggest issue has always been I probably can't easily stop you getting it. That's, that's a more difficult thing to do. Um, yeah. But, look, you know, we, we support anything our members want to do that increases their own revenue opportunity. Yeah, and if they're at that level, then it's their decision, really. Uh, lastly, I wanted to chat about the free tier because 
when Spotify sort of came into existence in Australia even, there was a lot of talk about whether the free tier should be ditched. And of course, there's services that only have paid tiers. Do you think that labels can force Spotify to ditch the free tier eventually? Do you think that they have that power? They, you know, they do need to have these licensing agreements. They do need to be renewed every now and again. I think, are they in talks, in discussions to uh, re-ink their licensing deals now? I'm not sure. About yeah, that. I'm not sure either. But I know that I, I kind of have this feeling that if the labels banded together and they wanted to, they could strong arm streaming services to ditch all free tiers. Well, I think that's a really interesting proposition. I, yeah. I, I, don't, uh, <laughs> I don't pretend to have the inside story on what the labels are thinking. I think, like, as we were discussing a minute ago, I think a race to the bottom and offering stuff for free is not great. You know, you could argue, well, radio's free. There's a model where you know, people sort of know there's a payment at the back end and it all comes through advertising, so that's sort of okay. But I think experience has shown that you know an advertising-backed model is difficult, and the preference would be subscription-based models. And uh, you know, if it's pitched around the current sort of values, it's really hard for anyone to argue that it's too expensive. So you know, I think I, I could absolutely understand why there would be pressure to sort of remove um, you know, the freemium mm. services. Whether or not that happens, I'm not sure. Yeah, um, and radio is just a different ball game anyway. It's you—you you don't get to choose what you listen to. No, it's not an a la carte music service. Spotify, you curate what you listen to. Yes, you get an ad every now and again, um, but you do get the whole repertoire yeah. of every song ever. I mean, I think that I think the services—you know—we would hope very much that the services stick to the subscription model and, mm. and don't get involved race to the bottom. I think mm. it's more about provide a great service and pitch it at this value. So it's mm. worth 11 bucks a month, you know, really. It's yeah. How many cups of coffee is that? <laughs> I know. Barely three. Yeah. <laughs> and an album was like, you know, $20. Know, so you're winning. Yeah, yeah totally, totally. You're winning. So. I think that's a sort of good place to end it, Dean. Thank you so much Pleasure. for chatting to me about this topic, which is just, there's so much that we didn't cover, but I think that we covered the main bits that are affecting artists right now. So cool. thank you. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for listening to the Industry Observer podcast. For more content like this, subscribe on iTunes or head to theindustryobserver.com.au, Australasia's new destination for music industry news, discussion, charts, and more. This podcast is presented by APRA AMCOS. More than 90,000 music creators rely on APRA AMCOS to get paid when their music is used. They license businesses to use music and distribute the royalties to their members. APRA AMCOS, made by music.